Hey everyone, this is Charlie Shrem, and you're listening to Untold Stories. This is a show where we dive deep into the lives and personal histories of some of crypto's most influential leaders and find out how the crypto movement truly came to be. Let's dive in. Today on the show, we had Marco Strang, who is the founder and CEO of Genesis Mining Group. Genesis Mining was launched in 2013 and arguably one of the largest and first industrial mining companies in the world. They are the largest consumer of electricity in Iceland. And we really, really got into some untold stories and data and conversations that I and you want to know. For example, what's it like being a huge consumer of electricity and dealing with the utility companies? Do you just call them up to pay your electricity bill? We talked about how can we make cryptocurrencies more decentralized by allowing miners to vote directly for anything that they want and how Genesis Mining allowed their miners to poll and vote on different topics that were being debated in the Bitcoin and crypto space for the past few years. They allow their users to vote on these things. Talked about the difference between proof of stake, proof of work. We talked about the narratives of how do do miners actually believe that Bitcoin should have bigger blocks? You'd be very surprised from Marco's answers. A lot of cloud computing companies are scams. How has Genesis Mining been able to push through transparency and disclosures when these things are needed? We talked about how environmentalism and Bitcoin clash, how many employees they have, and what is it like actually being a huge, huge, huge miner for the future, having Bitcoin price. When is the perfect time to actually start mining? All these different questions and more that you want to know. Why? Because I want to know these answers. So what do we do? We ask the CEOs directly here on Untold Stories. Before we get started, I'd like to thank our sponsor, BitPay, for making today's episode possible. We'll hear more about them later on in this episode. Untold Stories wouldn't be here without the amazing production company, Blockworks Group. A few months ago, I approached Blockworks Group and I said, hey guys, I want to do a show, Untold Stories. Can we make it happen? And these guys are the only event and podcast production company that I trust. Really, the show is powered by them, and it wouldn't be here today without the amazing work of the Blockworks Group team. So for access to all the premier digital asset conferences and to check out their other podcasts in their network that they produce, check them out at blockworksgroup.io. That's blockworksgroup.io. I promise you will not be disappointed. Marco, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me, Charlie. We we started chatting like very briefly for a second there before we we got started, and and you, we were just chatting about like what we're both working on and things like that. And um, I mentioned that I I'm investing in a medical technology company that's really not crypto related. And you said something interesting that you had heard from other people that I also do non crypto stuff. And you were about to ask me about that, and and I wanted to answer. But, you know, recording. And so um, I guess, can you ask me the question again? <laughs> this is this is gonna be your show now. You're the interviewer. <laughs> well, yeah, Charlie. I mean, uh, I've heard from a lot of people that, um, yeah, you're not, as everyone usually thinks, uh, you're not um, 
only exclusively doing things in, in crypto uh, and you're actually doing quite a lot of broad things which is in my opinion quite remarkable um, yeah it would be interesting also for me to hear to hear that because I guess nobody knows about these things well just like you um, I got you know we're I think we're the same age I just turned 30 how you just you're 30 right as well yeah, yeah um, I'm 30 so we're the same age we both have a very similar history we, we were in school college at the exact same time we we got involved in Bitcoin at I think the exact same time, like just right out of college. And um, um, I think you and your senior year, me as well. And but so to answer your question, you know, I got burnt during a lot of these bear markets and, and I found myself like having hundreds of thousands of dollars to my name at the age of 20 years old. And then and then a few months later, finding myself having less than a few thousand. And I'm trying to understand, like, what am I doing wrong? And I realized that you have to teach yourself, you know, financial literacy. And you also have to teach yourself how to live for the future during bear markets. And, uh, that's during when I got screwed in 2013, not screwed, but I lost all my money. And then I had to pay, you know, an immense amount of money to the government and things like that. I had to start over from scratch. When I got out of jail, I had like in 2016, when I got out of prison, I had $16,000 to my name. That's it. Um, it's enough to get started though. And so I use that to, to, you know, re get started and redo everything and rebuild the empire all over again. But I had said to myself, if I'm going to do it, um, the right way this time, I'm going to diversify out of crypto into other businesses that I could, you know, earn cash flow and live off of. So then I could never have to sell my crypto ever. My goal was to never have to sell Bitcoin. So how do I live mm -hmm. off of other businesses and then use Bitcoin to just continue to grow my Bitcoin for the future. I see. Interesting. And what kind of businesses are you doing there? So we we moved into. I have um, I have a few Airbnbs here in in Florida. Um, we started a family office, and so we do. We have a big lending portfolio. We do a lot of lending to local developers that are building hotels and houses and um, hotel homes and different types of vacation rental properties and stuff like that. So I do a lot of like lending. Um, I have this podcast, of course, and uh, this podcast is actually my full-time job now. I spend six, seven hours a day just on this show. I think I'm in the studio like four or five days a week. Um, wow. Yeah. So so I'm trying to live off the show, and I'm and I'm almost there, um, building out like a whole business behind um, this show. But I have a lot of other a lot of other uh, things going on. But forget about me. We're here to talk about you. I'm I'm really excited to have you on the show today. Um, you know, I do a lot of research and uh, you've really done something truly, truly remarkable with Genesis Mining. Um, I'm, I'm sad because we've met a few times, but we never really got to spend a lot of time together. Do you, spell, do you still spend a lot of your time in Iceland? Because if you do, I may have to just come in the summertime. Yeah, for sure. I'm definitely there. Not as often as um, in, the, in the beginning when we when we started expanding there, but um, yeah, it's still it's still quite a lot of times where where I'm going there, and um, it's mainly now for uh, I would say like representational things, not uh, for operational things. There's still a lot of people like journalists and. Uh, and other partners that want to really get the experience and want to see. And, um, you know, usually we are keeping our data centers extremely confidential. Uh, 
but we at one point decided since so many people wanted to wanted to just see how a crypto mine really looks like and uh, um, we we said okay uh, at one point we have to show something so we started to 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 open up uh, our enigma facility uh, to the public and um, and and let and open it up for for like uh, journalists and for outside people to come but still we are very cautious so they're only able to like film like really specific angles not going too close to the devices and uh, because there's still a lot of ip and as you know i think we had quite a lot of attempts for industrialized espionage and things where people were trying to find, figure out like the the, the layouts, et cetera. You guys are one of the largest companies um, in our industry, but but you know one of the largest mining companies in the world. Um, I think probably the largest. You have the largest ether farm. You guys mine Dash and and Bitcoin since 2013 or 2014. And and then you and then you you also do uh, cloud mining. And and I would say that you guys are the pioneers of of the you know the concept and and the business of of cloud mining. My question is this. You know, a lot of cloud computing are scams, and um, yeah. it's it's difficult for normal consumers to who, who want to use cloud mining is a phenomenal industry. And I want to preface with it's it's groundbreaking, and it's not only groundbreaking to make money for business, but when you have cloud mining, you allow more people, average Joes, to you know, or Janes, to become to mine for Bitcoin, Ether, Dash, or whatever they want to mine for. And it really furthers the decentralization, the health and security of any coin token or blockchain. So the question, you know, going back to my question is, you know, th- there's so many of them that are that are not real. It's very easy to, to say, oh, cloud mining offer 10x returns or whatever. And then it's just basically like a Ponzi scheme. What type of transparency or disclosures do you, do you think that yeah. that other companies should do? Do you think that you guys should do? But on the flip side of that, knowing that you guys have to be so careful, so careful about yeah. like filming certain angles for the security and safety of your staff, but also for your customers, um, how do you how do you balance that? Yes, absolutely. That's a very very good point. And um, <clears throat> as you as you say it, I mean the. Um, I absolutely share your opinion that uh, cloud mining uh, is something that, particularly now, as we are really having a, facing a, um, a centralization uh, issue in mining, uh, plays a more more important role. And um, uh, you're right; there is a lot of bad actors in that space, and the reason for that is that it is a easy way how you can basically um uh, yeah cheat the system um because of the nature of, of of how it is and that's actually even more important that you are um you are um be, yeah how can i say to you are um putting transparency on a on a very uh, uh, as a very important role and uh, have some certain um, elements. And actually we are talking like really since now, I think seven years, we are trying to also get in dialogue with regulators, et cetera, to educate the space. I remember like four or five years uh, ago in uh, um, in LA, I spoke once um, on particularly that, that matter. How can you identify trustworthy operators? And, um, 
I think the most important thing is uh, to know the people behind the operation. That really is, I would say, one key thing. So, um, and that actually most of the operators in the in the space already fall through that category. They don't disclose who is behind. And um, <clears throat> I think if someone really wants to take that business serious, there is absolutely no reason to avoid. Uh, of course, there's always like the like in crypto the secrecy that plays a, an important role, and because there's so much money involved. But I guess it's it it's for no operator like if he's serious, they should disclose like the the people behind and the team. Um, the other thing is showing some at least some um, uh, footage on on mining facilities that gives another indication that doesn't mean that they are valid that way but uh, I think if you can make sure that these operators really have large scale data centers that's another good point um, most of them also don't f fall into that category um, they can't even show like a rack of, of GPUs and have sometimes millions and millions of, of, of revenue um, and then I guess yeah it's uh, I, and then I think yeah that those are basically the the, the main points determine a lot on, on, on bad actors. To further the question that we were discussing earlier, um, you know, on transparency and, and disclosures, I had like Ryan Selkis on the show, Masari, and he said, all, all crypto companies need to have more disclosures, more transparency, and we should standardize that, that transparency. When we're talking about cloud mining or, or mining in general, what, I mean, what can you do? You're, you're a leader of the industry. What type of, of things can, can you do to, to allow this to become, you know, better and, and safer and more transparent? Very good point. So um, we uh, take this really very serious and, um, and, and put really a high uh, focus and, and, and effort on, onto that. We basically uh, want to find ways um, how to make, uh, let's say, less uh, le that, that less trust is needed at least and uh, that is not an easy task um, there is many ways how uh, basically seemingly more disclosure don't necessarily really tell you anything more about whether it's a valid operator or not but I think in our uh, perspective like what really would, would be a great step towards that uh, would be to um, <clears throat> to really um, <clears throat> to basically the ideal picture is that we as operators have no uh, permission or control even on the devices um, when it, if if the user the end user that mines in the cloud doesn't allow uh, allow to do so really and can hear yeah, the, the absolute maximum picture where uh, we basically have a fingerprint, a uh, digital fingerprint on each machine, owning the, where the machine is owned by a user in the cloud uh, for a certain amount of time. And we, uh, and even we don't have the control as operators. What about that voting? Be, yeah. 
Uh, yeah. What What do you mean on that? Well, going you know going on with that, one of the biggest um, fears when it comes to mining pools when you're pooling resources is that the mining pool can now control the operator can control um, voting yeah. for for hard forks or for soft forks or for anything consensus related. Um, I know a lot of pools like Slush Pool and, and some other pools like that have how have enabled and and really pushed for the ability for them. To, you know, for the pool operators to have no control over that and for the miners themselves, um, not cloud mining, but miners themselves um, that are mining as part of a pool to, to essentially, you know, uh, uh, signify, s- symbolize or say or vote on what they want to vote for um, on the protocol when there when there are votes or things to, you know, that come that come mm-hmm. up for a vote. Um, how do you how do you allow for, do you allow for that or, or how do you um, is that something that you think is, is necessary? Yeah. Well, we did that in the past um, by when we had like major like uh, fork events or something where votes really mattered. We had like polls asking our customers what we should do. Um, and uh, we, we did it basically our way uh, to do it in a very technical way. As I said, it's a very hard task uh and we are working towards that I, ideally we really want to have at one point a completely trustless mining uh, cloud mining operation but that is really really hard and to give you an like really what i said before with the fingerprinting i mean in the end you really really deep and basically have to go on hardware level uh and put, use in, uh, encryption on the hardware level that then makes it possible so that we as operators um, can't even con- control the machine or the user that is remotely connected has more control over the machine than us. Uh, theoretically, it's possible, but... Um, how? How, how would you make cloud mining fully like decentralized? Is that because eventually, essentially there are... There are, you know, machines, there are data centers, people need to physically work there. Mm. There has got to be yeah. like a central point somewhere. Yeah, that's it. So, so um, uh, one, like the physical control is something that can never be changed, obviously. That is always there. But I think uh, one step towards really going towards trustless uh, is that we as having the physical control, we can we, we 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 have the physical control but we cannot control the machine because the machine can only be controlled via a fingerprint or via via a key that only the remote user has and the the machine basically the chip is binded uh, to that to that key and um, but this is an extreme effort yeah you you basically have to uh, do it while the chip is produced you have to create that um pairing uh and um and uh i think there are some ways to optimize but it's just a it's a long way to go there with well that. I, that, that's I, I like that I you're thinking about it i like that you're that you that you care about it you've been in the space a very long time tell me an untold story um how you guys got started it's such a fascinating story i've read um, i'm sure the listeners would love it you know you were in school you were mining in your dorm room and take it away 
Well, I think the story with the dorm room really got blew, uh, blown off in the in the media at one point also when it was all about students mining in dorms. I, I remember actually also when um, when I did it first, like uh, a half a year or a year later, also the other people in the in the same student accommodation basically uh, started to do it. And uh, that really significantly incre- increased the oh. <laughs> electricity <laughs> bill of the whole area. Uh, but I try to keep it a little bit more private and, uh, and secret. I try to like when, when I first had my mining machine and it was really like profits were high, I like, it was a hard thing because on the one hand it was noisy and it was extremely hot and people were asking what I'm going to, what I'm, what am I doing in my room? Because it's really, it's not easy to, to kind of, uh, hide that. But, um, uh, and, um. As I said, like my 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 uh, former girlfriend, she went crazy because like sauna atmosphere uh, in my in my room. It was a small room, and uh, I like the noise. I tried to cancel it with some pillows on top and stuff. But uh, anyway, yeah. So that's how it all started, and um, I think it quit it relatively quick. Then at one point, as you know, end of two thousand thirteen. I mean, we were already active in the community um, earlier, significantly early earlier than that but end of 13 uh, was the point where bitcoin went from 100 to 1000 and litecoin also went from one dollar to 30 and that really created a huge gold rush uh on on also mining and uh, we already like we're very familiar we knew how things work and um, we really said that we have to really make a make a move and, and make thousands of these machines and build a big data center and, uh, and, and start mining. And, uh, yeah. you're a mathematician and, um, you're a risk taker, but you're also someone who's risk averse. Um, you understand how to forecast models and you understand how to think very far into the future. You're sitting, it's your last year at university. I mean, did you, how do you, I, how do you jump from, from being, you know, like extremely young and mining just for fun to saying, we need to start this as a business because you must have realized that mining Bitcoin, uh, well, not like zero sum, it's, it gets significantly harder over time. Profits change, the numbers change. There are so many outside forces that can come into effect. Were there any doubts? Did people ever make fun of you? Um, you know, you, you quit a, a prestigious university to, to, to do this. People must still think you're fucking crazy. <laughs> well, it's, uh, uh, I think so they do but I think like for me um I uh, at one point like it was I think that the decision was made automatically because at one point I had uh, uh, and I, I, I couldn't justify to go still to the to lectures uh, in that setup. <laughs> so um but still of course it, it is a, a jump into the uh, unknown waters basically and uh, but i i trusted my feeling i um i really was a big fan of the technology i was extremely fascinated about blockchain itself about like how everything is like transparent that you could see the cash flows and the blockchain i mean that was a new thing uh if you see it how intransparent the normal markets are the 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 the, the stock markets etc and um i i just wanted to I was very interested. And then, then the fact that we really had an impact and really tr- uh, contributed significantly uh, towards the back, the back of the industry with the mining uh, 
that was fascinating. And actually, putting out our data centers, like a lot of our customers, uh, or sorry, a lot of our friends by that time said, wow, this is so crazy. I mean, what what is that? We are building like the data centers, I mean, first in Eastern Europe, and then we went to Iceland, etc. What are you guys doing there? And um, so many people suddenly wanted to participate. And that's actually how also the business model in cloud mining started, because in the, originally we just wanted to run a large mining operation ourselves. For you and your friends, but, yeah, and your family and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then so many friends came and said, please, please let me participate. This is so interesting. So we basically said, well, okay, why, why don't we just allocate some capacity to friends and let them basically get, get capacity from our data center? And that's how we said, wow, okay, we have to spin that thought further and make mining accessible for everybody. And uh, that's how Genesis Mining started. I have a great, yeah. that's how Genesis Mining started. And I have a great question. What, what type of market forces, what type of external force, let me take a step back. What type of perfect conditions could there be that would be the perfect time for someone to buy their mining contra contract? And mm -hmm. what type of time frame is usually the sweet <clears throat> spot for most profitable? Because I know like too short and too long is not good, but there's a perfect like time frame, perfect market conditions, a bear market, bull market, going into a bull market, go about to go into a bear market. Like what's the perfect time going yeah. into a having? What's the perfect like time? I'm like I'm going on to Genesis yeah, Mining right now to buy a contract. That's why I'm asking. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, that's a very good question. So I think from if you look at our users, I think most successful or most users have been successful in the uh, when they got into an account uh, market in a uh, also bearish market um, where uh, yeah and and basically then took the whole upside of, um, of, of 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 the market recovering or going up again. Um, users who are going into the heavy bull markets, uh, it, there's always a danger with that, and you see that throughout the bank and crypto. It's not only in cloud mining. You see it in buying and holding Bitcoin if you go into with a very high prices. If it's in ICOs, it's in all sorts of investments in the space. So I think it really is similar towards a lot of other businesses. And uh, yeah, to answer the questions, it's usually the bear markets. Uh, and um, uh, yeah, um, ideally, yeah, um, I think now Shoot, after I the just halving, missed the perfect time. Uh, sure. <laughs> well, I, I guess uh, we, I don't know. I mean, uh, let's see where we are going from here. But I would also say now a bull market is coming. And the other thing also is the, the halving. Uh, I mean, uh, the halving, I would say there are plenty of opportunities now after the halving again. We see um, uh, inefficient mining operations dropping out. And um, yeah, it's all actually, Charlie, this is also like the bear markets were also the markets where we, uh, on the self-mining, on the self, uh, because we're doing large uh, self-mining, obviously, since long time, since the beginning too. And we have done tremendous success also on that. And on the size of the business, we have expanded mostly in the bear markets. That's where the opportunity lies. That's the best time. Um, exactly. So, yeah. the, so the key is that the strategy, people want to know what my strategy is. I, Like you, we, how many... Bull and bear markets have you been through, dude? Like like six? Like it's just 
It's been yeah. it's been through crazy. Yeah, right. So the strat the strategy I have is to during the bear markets, I try to live exclusively not off of Bitcoin and crypto, and I don't have a high cost of living. Uh, I travel a lot, but um, other that's that's the best strategy: build, hold, save. For, during the bear mm-hmm. markets and try to build yourself a business that will pay you like a salary or a paycheck or something that you can, you know, budget your life. It's it's the best strategy building during the bear market. Also, the best deals can be made in the bear market too. like businesses making deals, especially with newer companies in the space, newer people in the space. You have people that will join our industry that come from working at you know, Microsoft or major, major companies or even governments for 20 years. And then they enter the industry during the bear market. They don't realize that when, when other companies are approaching them that have been around or like I approach them in this, I'm giving away my secrets here, but if I approach you during a bear market to make a business deal and you're new to the space and I'm not new to the space, I'm going to push for the best fucking terms that I could get because you think it's a bear market and you think that this whole industry could collapse tomorrow. I don't. Marco, you don't. We've been here for a while. We know. Yeah, that's absolutely right. <laughs> and I mean, yeah, it's like exactly as you say. And I mean, looking really back, particularly like the last um, bull run, I mean, it was literally crazy, Charlie. I mean, I was sitting like in New York in a hotel uh, in a lounge and like average people next to me were talking about that they are now having this secret business idea to start mining operations and i couldn't believe that i mean like really six seven years ago nobody or even five years ago nobody was even like close to knowing what what that is and now the average people are talking about it so like that basically really says like so many people went also into mining and uh, a lot of people that really went into the wrong times uh, uh, really had some some difficulties but i think in the end like people are i think it's always important to learn uh to stay calm and to then next time make better decisions and uh i think um that's what we we all did uh, uh and um and that's very valuable so you know bitpay has been a super long-term sponsor of untold stories and actually one of my favorite companies in the space i've been using him forever since 2014 i've been using my bitpay debit card And I love it. I have actually had two of them at this point because I use it so much. Anyways, BitPay is launching their newest program. It's super cool. No one knows any details about it except for me and now except for you. It's still in stealth mode right now, but we've arranged that my listeners can get early access to their newest card program. So check it out. The first 100 people to sign up will get it literally free. All you have to do is go to bitpay.com forward slash Charlie. There's no catch. Go to bitpay.com forward slash Charlie. I've been using this product for years. This is the newest update. Everything about this product will beat the competitor on the market. Fees, limits, beautiful, sexy, little, sleek card. Everything about it is amazing. No one else has this opportunity except for you right now listening to this. BitPay.com forward slash Charlie. You guys are going to love it. It's so cool. I cannot wait to get my hands on one. A lot of the listeners for the show are at our same age now, but are also at the age of, you know, in university and are... Um, at the age that you and I were when he when we had first got you know gotten into the space, well, there were actually wasn't a space back then. There wasn't an industry. It was just you know fun and 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 geeky and nerdy and you know experimentation. So my question is to you, um, and I'm going to preface it really quick, um, and 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 understanding that you know we followed similar tracks and we're the same age. Um, 
when I was in in college, uh, I had a small startup with my cousin. We had like five or six employees, and I ran it for like two, three years, and we sold it right before I got into Bitcoin. I used the money to get into Bitcoin, and then when I started BitInstant, um, the you know the best parts of BitInstant was when we were ten employees or less. And I've no, mm-hmm. you know looking back at my life, one of the things that even till today uh, I I don't know how to do, and I and I need to, and I I don't know how to solve this problem, is that I've never. I've, I don't have the experience and I've never ran a company of more than 10 people. And when I, mm-hmm. when Ben Instinct got to 30 people, that's when it started failing um, because mm-hmm. I didn't know how to bid, build managerial layers. I didn't know how to build, um, you know, build a, a pyramid of, of staff, you know, and do it the right way. And there's a lot of other factors. I didn't know how to deal with investors, whatever, whatever. And I always told myself that one day I'll work for a company. I'll learn how to be a manager. I'll learn how to, to manage other people. I'll learn how to do that. But it seems like that's never that's not going to happen. I keep starting my own businesses. I'm doing this show. You successfully push <laughs> through that hump. You manage a company with hundreds of employees. You're doing it very successfully. Um, and it's not. I'm not trying to flatter you. This is this is public data. How did you learn how to do that? How did you get past that hump? Did you ever feel insecure of your abilities of running a major company? You know, at the time when you're yeah. 26, 27 years old. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, this is completely, this was and uh, was completely un, unknown waters for me. And uh, um, and I would have never thought that I'm going to be there um, in my life where I am now. And uh, uh, it, it, it also, it's really uh, scaring me some at some uh, sometimes. But actually, the great thing is that you are learning by the challenges. And uh, the most important thing is just to really um, not getting yourself down for that and uh, demotivate. And uh, you always really have to really keep up and um, and use these as learning opportunities. And yeah, uh, it's crazy. Uh, absolutely. Like running a large company is also completely different than um, than the early stages of the business uh, that you had with BitInstant that we had like, also five, six years ago with uh, Genesis, we, um, it's, it's like really going from like the, this, uh, opportunistic exploratory, um, uh, corporate structure that you have to have as a startup to really going to discipline layer management layer, very de- uh, planned operational, um, processes. And that is absolutely a challenge. So I had to change also quite a lot. And uh, I'm still learning a lot in that regard. And actually, it's interesting, Charlie, because I had table. Uh, I had like a, a conversations with other people from from the industry, for example, with Eric uh, from Shapeshift, etc. And I realized that they had the exact same. Also, like I think it's very uh, common thing. And the crypto world is very. Uh, destined for the openness and for non-hierarchical structures and that is a major challenge when it comes to large companies it's crazy uh, if you give everyone a say in a large larger enterprise you're basically really going nowhere and it's so inefficient so um, that requires a lot of um, restructuring but uh, when you can maintain that i think then everything is good and um, um, and I think we, we did that quite successfully and the crypto winter and these times helped us for that. True story. And it, it helps that, that people probably 
treated you like an underdog. And when, when people um, don't think, you know, that you're smart or that you can do what, what you want to do and they, and they, um, what's the word I'm looking for when they think you're an underdog that they underestimate you, you actually, Mm -hmm. it's better. I prefer when people underestimate me. I want them to always. Um, I hope I continue Mm -hmm. to always retain this, um, like people always think I'm like a a stupid kid because then I'll always be able to be better at business, uh, than them. (laughs) So I don't care. Good point. Hey, so so switching topics, you know, there's a lot of there are a lot of narratives in in our industry, um, and you've been a miner for a long time. You know, there, there's this like narrative that comes up every so often that says that yeah, all miners want Bitcoin to be about big blocks and about payments and not about you know like store value and digital gold. <laughs> I believe that it needs to be a perfect balance. Um, can mm-hmm. you like expel some of these narratives for us, like? Are they true, and is it is it fair to to try to lump all miners into that category? No, it's not fair, and it's also not true. I think uh, the um, the I think that originally still comes from the early days when there was the Hong Kong agreement, when we had like the whole debate about big blocks and like Segwit came up and things. Um, uh, I think there was kind of an artificial mining group. Uh, kind of made and uh, the perception was that all the miners are into that category of um, wanting to s- uh, scale and don't like to see Bitcoin as a as a uh, as a store of value. Uh, I, I I really think this has not only like this was never really true and now also it's it's not true at all. I think there are really uh, you see really. Um, uh, ourselves also we believe in bitcoin as a store of value and uh, i think many other miners uh, have uh, really are more open and are not too narrowed down uh, i think really m- a lot of the community knows the strength of bitcoin as a store of value by now uh, and actually um yeah we I think by that time, also when we're looking back, like on on occasions like that, we are, for example, making polls and ask our miners also what they think. So that also gives a good um, picture of what miners think, because in the end, also miners that are mining from home in the cloud are 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 miners, and uh, it's not only the big uh, enterprises. But uh, to answer the question, really, I think it's um, it's a much more um, uh, colorful field and uh, certainly not that all miners can be thrown into one category and the good thing is there are more and more also manufacturers coming and more and more players um coming into the market and that uh, makes it even more colorful it's a really it's a really wonderful industry and you have uh, as the industry grows um it has created the mining industry has created you know tens of thousands of jobs and and you know, I have debates with environmentalists very frequently, uh, including on this show, who on the other side uh, believe that proof of work is one of the worst um, environmental disasters. Like I've literally had environmentalists <laughs> tell me that proof of work is the biggest environmental disaster of our time, and we go into <laughs> debates a lot about this. And like I've I've seen quotes, like for example, I want to read one: uh, "Bitcoin is not creating jobs. Instead, the industry makes irreversible." irreversible damages on waterfalls and wilderness. I'm not willing to make that sacrifice. And fortunately, a lot of Icelanders agree. You guys are one of the largest customers of power for Iceland. Do you agree with this with this statement? No, absolutely not. 
um, there is this common misconception, like also that you hear uh, in Iceland, where it says the miners are taking electricity away from the from, from the, the hospitals and, and schools. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I think it's more like how much power can the miners <clears throat> get allocated, and uh, the politicians or like the uh, the electricity providers would never um, subtract the, the power from the civilization to give it to the miners. So it's more like how much is there to be consumed, and then they consume that. So it's actually a major driver for. The economic uh, for the economics uh, uh, in Iceland and in other fields, it drives innovation, it creates jobs, uh, and in the end, we should never forget it is the basis, it is the absolute fundamental infrastructure for the whole like Bitcoin and also blockchain um, uh, technology. And uh, I think uh, public blockchains like Bitcoin that require proof of work uh, are. Um, are one of the few proven really uh, great use cases uh, of blockchain with regards to Bitcoin being open source money and uh, all the many aspects that Bitcoin brings. And um, I think seeing it from that perspective is just um, very questionable to me how you could take that other viewpoint and just see that passive, passive, uh, that, that, that negative uh, side of it you clearly forget to see the the positive side or uh yeah, of if course. you have that 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 negative view yeah you create your own narratives um what's it like interfacing with like utility companies in in places like iceland i mean being such a large customer you know mining bitcoin and other cryptos um do they understand what you're doing do you have good relationships with them <clears throat> um are you guys uh put money money towards more <clears throat> infrastructure I mean, tell me what that's like, mm -hmm. those relationships. Give us some well, insight because these are things that we don't know. Most of us in the world don't know. Absolutely, yeah. Well, I mean, they are always great. I mean, they obviously are very business-oriented, so they want to sell more uh, power. So that's very clear. So that uh, side, the, the relationship is always harmonic. I think uh, um, uh, that really... Uh, if it were be to them, we should like scale in, uh, in, uh, to infinity, basically. Uh, the great thing also, obviously, on our side, which some people um, still don't know, is that the Genesis group, um, where Genesis Mining is part of, has also actually, we have really gone and widened our field uh, also with regards to now being quite active in the high-performance computing space. Uh, we, we founded the Genesis Cloud, um, which basically uh, not only high-performance computing, but particularly um, AI infrastructure as a service and rendering. And I think that. Uh, not to be forgotten, that industry is just uh, gro growing like never before. I mean, I'm not sure whether you have seen The Lion King, for example, like how detailed everything uh, is. And you can basically now make a, a movie, uh, a George Clooney movie without George Clooney, because you can just render it. So like that industry is growing too. And we are also uh, big a uh, big part in, in that and uh, that is also great that people see that we are um, really driving the whole digital future with with our infrastructure and um, uh, and yeah I think um, I think that really gives drives innovation as said and um, 
and just is very beneficial for the for the local economy. And I just don't see that whole point of like Bitcoin being that big destroyer of uh, of, of environment. I, I, I think my clear view is that on on this planet there is more than enough. Uh, power uh, renewable uh, power sources uh, and access capacity that we can use for for bitcoin mining particularly because bitcoin mining can happen at at the end of the world and somewhere in nowhere because we don't need to have proximity and uh, and we need to we don't need to be close to civilizations and that makes it possible that we are like going ne- next to a geothermal source or going below a hydro dam or on a wind field like or on a solar field and just make use of all this access and green energy sources. If it I was mean, seeing it that way, it's not a waste at all. If it was like discovered that the sun was, I don't know, extra strong in Antarctica or there was a, 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 a river with uh, extremely fast moving water or there was some crazy benefit to mining Bitcoin in some far, far remote place, theoretically speaking. I'm just, just for the fun of the show. And you guys said, and you guys had a board meeting and Marco, you said, guys, this is the most remote place in the world, but this will be, from a cost perspective, it will be so cheap to mine Bitcoin here. I mean, theoretically, could you have like an unmanned data center or like send someone out there to live and then you'd have to like build like a little village and then only have satellite internet. Do you think that we'd see whole villages or cities in middle in the middle of nowhere launched mm-hmm. just for mining Bitcoin? I, I think absolutely. How I mean, cool we would are that doing be? that. Yeah, we are, we are doing that to a certain extent. We're not uh, having com- created complete cities, <laughs> but um, uh, we we certainly. I mean, um, that would be. If, if growing larger, these uh, places will get larger. And absolutely, we have mining data centers that are of that nature, far away from from major civilizations, where abs- where electricity is really absolutely low. And uh, those are sometimes extremely crazy conditions. I'm talking about like temperature of minus forty degrees Celsius, uh, etc. Where like you go out. Uh, just recently i've been there again you go outside and like uh, within five minutes your face starts to freeze uh you're completely warm in like uh, special jackets that are like have alufoil inside etc and specially prepared but in the end your face is still free and like that freezes in five minutes so this is crazy things yeah i it's it's so cool to think about and this would be something that you would probably have to travel a lot more um, I, I counted, I just counted, and, and last year I traveled, uh, I think, 90 days out of the year, and I was a little taken aback by that. I'm, I'm almost sad because I just moved into a wonderful home. My wife and I, we set down roots. We're part of, you know, I'm the treasurer of my homeowners association. Like, I, I, I'm putting roots down. I love where I live, but I still spent mm-hmm. three months traveling last year out of 12, and I don't want to be traveling mm-hmm. as much as that, but I don't really know how to change that. Do you travel as much? And if you do, how do you manage that? Yeah, I travel quite a lot. Um, and uh, um, it, that requires really, if you really travel, I would say, I mean, if you are not on a place, like uh, if you are changing your, 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 your location literally every week or so, that really requires a lot of coordination 
uh, hey, I'm the industry is extremely international, and um, me being uh, like not only the CEO, but I also have like a represent representational role, and I need to really uh, be always in exchange with local partners and, and and all that. That requires me to be in those different areas all the time, and uh, um, and yeah, that really you need to be very co uh, coordinated in order to make that viable otherwise you you start to go crazy you, you always have these time time delays different time zones you have to adapt and um <clears throat> and you need to stay efficient uh, by that you cannot like get knocked out a half a day because you're now in a different time zone you need to go out of the plane and you need to be fully ready uh to go and um that's something that you really get you, you have to get used to. Um, I'm doing that since years now, so uh, that helped me. But um, it's it's a crazy thing. But in the end, I think it's great because the world has so much potential. The world has is, is so much connected like never before. We can be everywhere in the world within 24 hours. Um, and um, that's just, in my opinion, very, very great. And um it's nice to meet new people and to travel all over the world. I mean, you went from you went from bootstrapping this thing like seven years ago or six years ago. Congratulations on your yeah. soon-to-be anniversary! And now, um, hundreds of team members. You've launched. You launched a few years ago. You launched a fund called the Logos Fund. Um, mm -hmm. And to date, from the last data I have is that the fund raised a uh, hundred million dollars in assets. How is the fund doing and why did you do that? Yeah, so that was actually, uh, uh, Logos was focused on, on infrastructure. Um, we now launched another fund, uh, a new one that just got live. It's called Signature Ventures, which is a, uh, um, compared to the infrastructure, so Logos did like um, mining infrastructure, uh, uh, Signature Ventures does blockchain VC, pure blockchain VC. And um, I, this is a, a great opportunity um, to give you a little background on that. The guys are really um, rooted, particularly in Europe. There is so much potential, Charlie, in uh, areas like Berlin, like London. Yeah, I mean, there those are innovation hubs that are not directly uh, accessible sometimes from the U.S. or in China, and. Um, and I think that our task is, as like a, play, a major player in the space, we all need to uh, be aware that in the end, there needs to be more use cases in that space and uh, for it to grow. And uh, uh, that means we need to support the innovation itself. And that's why we started, for example, Signature, uh, because we um, wanted to really, uh, we wanted to invest in those promising ideas uh, that in the end create uh, really new use cases and features on top of blockchain. I'm totally um, going to, I'm totally going to shill. One of my portfolio companies is a Bitcoin ATM company. Well, they have more than one, more than just Bitcoin. It's like 80 machines. Now I'm totally going to shill that to you and send you the deck later. <laughs> but on, on that note, I've talked about this company before as an example of this question. Um, and you're in a very hardware intensive, but you're more of a, a physical space. And I, and I really believe that a lot of people don't, that, that physical things are very important because like, you know, what's the, what's that quote? Like when, um, out of sight, out of mind, right. When people see and they feel mm -hmm. things. So, but I found, you know, 
I, I've been a part of whether an investor, uh, an advisor, um, you know, direct employee, officer, uh, consultant for 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 dozens and dozens of companies, helping them, you know, raise money, do a lot of different things. But the difficult part, I've noticed that it's so easy to raise money for like cloud computing platforms and the next Ethereum or the next Bitcoin or software, software, software. Easy. Anyone could go $50 million in five minutes. But I have a, a an 80 machine ATM company with 10 people, you know, amazing compliance, crazy profitable, they're impossible to raise even $1 million. Why is it so <laughs> difficult? And it's not just this, anything physical related, you're in mining, it's physical. Why is it more difficult to raise money for physical products or physical infrastructure in our industry than it is for just, you know, software or, you know, a lot of times vaporware? Yeah. Good question, Charlie. That's a, I think, um, I, I don't know the answer to that question. I think there is absolutely a lot of opportunity in hardware itself. I mean, mining being a hardware business in the end. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I think um, I think I think there there will be a correction. People will realize uh, that infrastructure, fundamental infrastructure, is actually uh, of uh, should be much more appreciated. Uh, and um, we probably will see uh, an adjustment on on that regard. That's so wonderful, and um, I really hope that you know it comes true for the sake of our industry because you really really need um, to have a lot more physical um, you know physical things here, um, you know ATMs or mining, um, even tchotchkes, even little uh, t-shirts and swag and coins. You need physicalness for a community, for for culture. Um, but anyways, completely changing topics. Uh, you guys mine Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Dash. Um, are there other coins and tokens that uh, you guys are mining that you're looking at for the future? Uh, can you talk about them? Sure, absolutely. We're mining also Zcash, um, Monero. Uh, but actually, Monero, we just uh, unlisted because... Uh, it was crazy. I mean, they did so much uh, uh, forking and like uh, and, and changed the algorithm again. So it was unpredictable for us uh, on a business side. But uh, our goal is really to, and that was from the beginning on, we said we have to make use of the innovation of the whole altcoin market, uh, not only Bitcoin. I mean, Bitcoin absolutely is the main driver, but uh, the altcoin market is there as an experimental playground. And um there has been quite interesting and great things coming out of that, and uh, we want we as the we see ourselves on the group level as making the power for the fu uh, digital future accessible to everyone, and that in the blockchain space means really to be open and to provide mining infrastructure for for, for everybody, and that sp doesn't specify any any particular coin. So. Uh, the most important thing, though, uh, Charlie, and that's always, always uh, important. We, the, in the end, we are offering an, uh, a service for the masses, and that means it cannot be too technical. We thought maybe at one point that we are making a Genesis mining expert, for example, where people can then allocate to do various different pools and can have individual settings. But if we want to increase like the popularity of Bitcoin and, and, the, and the space, I think it's important to make it easy. And that's why we kept it 
as it is, we have our auto allocation um, functions in the in the user interface. Um, but so to answer the question, we build a broad range of it, and we most importantly we make it very easy uh, um, and understandable for people. Many people come to the space actually to, uh, through us. Uh, ha not having even heard about Bitcoin, they they come through us first into the space and then uh, get into uh, Bitcoin more uh, detailed because we have done major um, like mainstream adoption campaigns and and things like we sponsored like yeah, uh, you yeah. guys have you been at every conference yeah. ever. Yeah. Uh, I think yeah. if there's a company that's that's had. As many booths as you, I'd like to see that over at every crypto conference. But Marco, um, you know, you, you spend so much time not just advocating and spreading, you know, the message of, of, of your company, but also of Bitcoin and the larger crypto uh, space. You give talks consistently and you spend your own money to travel around the world to evangelize for that. So, so thank you for doing that. Congratulations on continuing to grow the company. And, and how can uh, our users follow you? How can they, uh, our listeners get in touch with you if they're interested in, in learning? More. Well, they can definitely check out uh, Genesis Group uh, on a high level. It's www.genesis-group.com. They can go on Genesis Mining um, and uh, they can follow me on Twitter and, uh, and on the social media. We're also quite present on Facebook and uh, you find me also uh, personally on Twitter. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you, Jolly. It was a pleasure. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. New episodes of Untold Stories are released every Tuesday and Thursday at 7 a.m. EST on untoldstories.com, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Untold Stories is produced by Jason Yanowitz, Michael E. Polito, Reed Hannaford, and Riley Silbert of BlockWorks Group. Our account executives are Gina DeFelice and Julie Muroff. Our content is written by Kathy Zolo, Ronnie Tishner, and Scott Offered. Special thanks to Wayne Dallaire from Jump Dog Audio Productions. And of course, I'm your host, Charlie Shrem. You can follow me on Twitter at Charlie Shrem to continue the conversation. Send me some messages, feedback, or anything you want to say. And remember, please give some love to my sponsors, and I'll see you next week. Remember, strength in numbers and information is power.